Good morning to everyone. You can turn in your Bibles with me, if you have one with you, to Hebrews chapter 10. Hebrews 10, our verse of focus will be verse 23, but we want to begin reading in verse 1, set the stage, set the, set the context. This is Hebrews 10, beginning in verse 1, and this is the word of the triune God. For the law, having a shadow of the good things to come and not the very image of the things, can never with these same sacrifices which they offer continually year by year make those who approach perfect. For then would they not have ceased to be offered? For the worshippers once purified would have had no more consciousness of sins. But in those sacrifices there is a reminder of sins every year. For it is not possible that the blood of bulls and goats could take away sins. Therefore, when he came into the world, he said, Sacrifice and offering you did not desire, but a body you have prepared for me. In burnt offerings and sacrifices for sin, you had no pleasure. Then I said, Behold, I have come in the volume of the book. It is written of me to do your will, O God. Previously saying, Sacrifice and offering, burnt offerings and offerings for sin, you did not desire, nor had pleasure in them, which are offered according to the law. Then he said, Behold, I have come to do your will, O God. He takes away the first, that he may establish the second. By that will we have been sanctified, through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ, once for all. And every priest stands ministering daily, and offering repeatedly the same sacrifices, which can never take away sins. But this man, after he had offered one sacrifice for sins forever, sat down at the right hand of God from that time waiting till his enemies are made his footstool. For by one offering he has perfected forever those who are being sanctified. But the Holy Spirit also witnesses to us, for after he had said before, this is the covenant that I will make with them after those days, says the Lord. I will put my laws into their hearts, and in their minds I will write them. Then he adds, their sins and their lawless deeds I will remember no more. Now where there is remission of these, there is no longer an offering for sin. Therefore, brethren, having boldness to enter the holiest by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way which he consecrated for us through the veil that is his flesh, and having a high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider one another in order to stir up love and good works, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together, as is the manner of some, but exhorting one another, and so much the more as you see the day approaching. Amen. Well, it is not a a preacher's exaggeration to observe that the author to the Hebrews is setting forth, is arguing for the preeminence, the sufficiency, the supremacy, the perfection, the the superabounding excellence of Jesus Christ. The redeemed of the Lord come to the book of Hebrews and we find, to our joy, that the author is setting forth the glory of our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, that one who descended from on high to come into this lower world, sinners, 
to save. It's a blessing as our Christian eyes land upon the verses, upon the pages, upon the chapters of the book of Hebrews, and we see our glorious Savior set forth in such a glorious manner. Here in Hebrews chapter 10, the author of the Hebrews is continuing his argument for the, that superabounding excellence of Jesus Christ over all that had come before him. He's setting forth, holding up Jesus Christ before watchful eyes, watchful ears, readers of his epistle, holding up this Jesus and showing him as the perfect one, as the sufficient one, as that supreme one. And we find a, there is a twofold pattern of theology and exhortation. Christ is held up as sufficient and supreme and perfect over and against those typical ordinances, over and against those mosaical institutions, over and against those temporary and those uh, typical and those obsolete and fading away things of the mosaical institutions. We confess this glorious Christ. If we were to, if we were asked, uh, give us a, give me a, a one sentence abridgment of the epistle to the Hebrews. I believe that we could answer with the propriety of Hebrews 4.14, seeing then that we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession. That is the book of Hebrews, setting forth the glorious content of Christ our Savior and exhorting his people to confess that blessed Christ. Here in Hebrews chapter 10, we have the perfection of Christ's sacrifice set before us, the perfection of Christ's priesthood set before us. Just very briefly before we hone in on verse 23, and notice that in Hebrews 10, verses 1 to 4, we have a statement of mosaical insufficiency. The blood of bulls and goats could never take away sins. Then in verses 5 to 10, we have set forth a statement and elaboration upon the absolute sufficiency and the perfection of Jesus Christ, his sacrifice, the sacrifice of himself. The blessed language that we have in the text, by that will we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. We have in verses 11 through 18, first off, in verse 11, the statement of mosaical insufficiency with regards to the earthly priesthood. And then we have that blessed opening up of the statement and elaboration of the perfection of Christ's priesthood in verses 12 to 18. We have a, we have in verses 19 to 25 then exhortations given based upon these glorious truths. And you'll notice that in these exhortations, uh, we have first a duty or activity that is urged. Secondly, the manner in which the activity is to be carried out. And third, the the motivational impetus or the encouragement for heeding that exhortation. And that brings us then to our text, this middle exhortation. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering for he who promised is faithful. You notice that in one single sentence, we have the exhortative substance of the entire epistle. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering. If the theological substance of the book of Hebrews is that superabounding excellence of Jesus Christ over all that had come before him, then the exhortative substance of the epistle is to lay hold of that Christ with an unswerving constancy. That blessed Jesus, in one single sentence, we have that content, that substance, 
calling upon Christians to lay hold of their blessed Jesus. Notice that we have first off, the, uh, or notice first off that the exhortation is congregational. The language is, let us. This is given to the assembly of the saints. We confess together. We confess as a band, a body, a company of believers in the Lord Jesus Christ. We are not so many maverick Christians who just so happen to come together when the church meets and we're in close proximity to one another and then afterwards we just bounce and flee away to our our various places. No, we are those who have been called by the Lord Jesus Christ to commune together. We've been called by our Lord from out of the world to, to, uh, we're, we're commanded to walk in obedience, one with each other. We're, we're, we're supposed to come together as Christians, called by our Lord, to submit to that Lord, to submit to one another in professed subjection to the ordinance of the gospel. And as the apostle will go on, we confess together. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering. Hopefully it's a boon to your souls to gather together with the, the company of the faithful in in this place, you know, we're surrounded round about. We're, we're besieged on all sides by wickedness, by sin, by depravity, by unbelief in the outside world. We can come into a church where we come to assemble together as the saints of this glorious Jesus. We can open up hymn books and sing to, sing to each other. It's a blessed boon to come from out of that world to come into a church can stand up in the rows of a church and let's say we were to open our our uh, our um, our psalm books and open to, to psalm 110 we stand up and we start belting out the glory of the exalted jesus christ lifted to the right hand of the majesty on high we look to our right we look to our left we can consider that behind us and before us there is the company of brothers who confess this same jesus who hold fast to this glorious Christ. To be in fellowship with a band of confessors is a beautiful thing. Let us, the apostle writes, see also that there is an activity that is urged. Hold fast. This this comprehends the exertion of, of strength, the exertion of a diligence and endeavoring to grip something firmly and to do so with an endurance. You know what this also assumes is that this assumes that there is something of value to be held on to. This exhortation comes to us and there is something of high and infinite value to be held on to. What better thing is there? What, what better to grip than the doctrine of a triune God, infinite, eternal, and unchangeable, and all of his glorious perfections? What better thing to hold on to? What greater to clasp than a Jesus Christ, the Son of God, the second of the blessed triune, of one substance, and equal with him who begat him, the brightness of his Father's glory, the express image of his person, who in the fullness of the times came to us, came to our lower shame, to redeem his people, to recover his elect. What greater thing to grasp? What more excellent and what more beautiful thing to hold fast to than an incarnate, than a crucified, than a resurrected, than an ascended, than a conquering and an interceding Jesus Christ. This is, this assumes that there is something of the highest value to be held on to, and it also assumes that there is a danger necessitating that firm grip. Notice as well we have this language, the confession of our hope, or the profession of our faith. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope, 
without wavering. There is an object. There is an article. There is something of substance to be held on to. What is it? In a word, Christ. In a phrase, the dignity of his person and the virtue of his office, to, to paraphrase Owen. In, a, in an elaboration, listen to Owen. It cannot be but your duty to consider him, that is, both what he is in himself and what he is unto us. His design is to press upon them his general exhortation unto constancy and perseverance in the profession of the gospel, dedicating themselves unto Christ and the gospel, professing their faith in the promises of God by Christ, cheerfully undergoing afflictions, troubles, and persecutions. On the account thereof is this profession of faith that is exhorted unto, dedicating themselves unto Christ and the gospel. Don't you love how the author to the Hebrews opens up his epistle? As you, as Christians, read the letter to the Hebrews, it's an absolute blessing just to see in the first handful of verses how the author to the Hebrews launches into his subject matter. There's no waiting. Uh, there's no delay until he gets to the glory of Christ. But right out of the gates, the glorious subject matter. God, who in former times and in various ways spoke to the fathers by the prophets, has in these last days spoken to us by his Son, whom he has appointed the heir of all things, by whom also he made the worlds, who being the brightness of his glory and the express image of his person, when he had by himself purged our sins, well, upholding all things by the word of his power, when he had by himself purged our sins, sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. How can we not hold fast to this glorious Jesus Christ, having come by grace to learn of a holy God, having come by grace to learn of our sinfulness, our deadness and trespasses and sins, having come by grace to know this glorious Christ, having been brought forth from the deadness and the darkness of sin to life and light in Jesus Christ the Lord, how can we not hold fast? How beauty and how worthy of adoration is our precious precious Jesus. And what is the reason for this exhortation? Largely and generally, And preeminently speaking, the reason for the giving of such an exhortation is certainly the fact that Christ is worthy of being confessed. Blessed Jesus is worthy of being held fast to, of being steadfast for his Christians to be steadfast in the profession of him that is so glorious. In addition to this, though, there was another reason which sparked the apostle's pen, which moved the apostolic pen, and that was the danger of defection from Christianity back to Judaism. There was this temptation, there was this danger. The temple still stood. Uh, Elaborate worship was still being carried out. Those mosaical institutions, those obsolete and fading away things, the temporary, the the tangible, the shiny things of the, the old covenant religion, they were still going on. The eyes of sight, to the eyes of sight, the allure of the Judaic cult was strong. Spurgeon puts it some way, something like this. He, uh, in, in preaching with regards to the glory of cross, he said, the, uh, the Jews cannot endure a, a crucified Messiah. They searched for pomp and for power. Uh, these, all these multitudinous washings and ceremonies and sacrifices, were they all to be put away and nothing remain but a bleeding Savior? The apostolic witness says yes. The Christian says yes. 
All that is to remain is a precious and a glorious bleeding Savior, exalted now to the right hand of the majesty on high. We can almost hear the apostle, <clears throat> by virtue of the, the content of the book of Hebrews in these exhortations and this, this danger, uh, we can almost hear the apostle pleading with his audience, why would you go back to the obsolete and fading away things of the mosaical institutions when the one to whom all those things pointed has come and perfected salvation? Why would you depart back to the foretellings of the prophets when in Christ we have the one foretold, their scope, their end, their terminus? Why would you go back to the ministrations of angels when in Christ we have the ministry of the maker of angels? Why would you go back to the earthly repetitions of a Levitical priesthood when in Christ we have that forever and once for all ministry of the priest according to the order of Melchizedek? Why the, why the, the temple when you have Emmanuel? Why the copy when you have the true? Why the signal when you have the things signified? Why the herald when you have the king? With respect to our content here, why the blood of bulls and goats when you have the blood of the Lamb of God? And why would you go and seek out the work of a dying priesthood when in Christ Jesus we have, the, we have that once for all, that forever, that uh, obedience unto cross death vocation of the Son of God? Why would you go back? The eyes of unregeneracy look upon Jesus and they see something to be mocked. They see a repugnancy. They see a rock of offense. The eyes of faith look at Jesus and whether he's crowned with thorns, whether he's crowned with that circlet of pain, wielding a, wielding a reed scepter, or whether he's bleeding upon Calvary's cross, or whether he's exalted to the right hand of the majesty on high with a crown of glory and that scepter of righteousness, he's beautiful to the eyes of faith of the Christian. Brethren, we see also without wavering and in only a minute remaining, we see this reality that this is to be held in a manner that is without wavering. This manner by which the activity is to be carried out, we are not those who draw back to perdition. We are not those who halt between opinions. We do not depart from this Christ. We do not depart from truth to error. There is a resolute diligence that we are to have in our profession of Christ. If that glorious one, if our precious Jesus holds us in that John 10 inviolable grip, ought not his sheep to hold the, the hem of his robe unto Emmanuel's land? Notice we have this blessed language as well, for he who promised is faithful. This is what I think is going on in this. This is the, the motivational impetus, the encouragement to carry out this activity without wavering. You see, this clause... For he who promised is faithful would dash away anxiety. It would dash away hesitation. It would dash away fears. Perhaps as this verse was being read, let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering. There would still be a measure of irresolution. But when they would hear of faithful Yahweh, for he who promised is faithful, they would be bold to grip their Jesus without wavering dashes away the fears of anxiety, the, the fears of that Christian heart, the fears that may remain. They hear their glorious Yahweh. Perhaps their minds would be drawn to those promises of the Holy Scriptures, that hero born of woman who would crush the serpent with his heel, be drawn to the, the promises to Abraham, 
drawn to the promises of the prophets, that there is one coming forth who will give himself for the salvation of his people in that perfectly. They'd be drawn to that reality that he shall see his seed. His, uh, he will receive travail of soul, but he will be satisfied because he will have perfected victoriously the salvation of a multitude that no man can number. Perhaps they would have heard that promise that Christ said, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. For Christians generally, for us then, 2,000 years removed from the giving of this exhortation, what are we to do with it? We are to heed it still. And Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Christ glorious in the first century. Christ glorious in the 21st century. You know, we, we might be weary, we might be battered, we might endure affliction, temptation, trial, all these things. You know, we may not be in the same context as those Hebrew Christians with the, the temple worship, with the mosaical institutions, with the allurements that were before their eyes, but there remains an assailing devil. There remains a contrary world, and there remains a lusting flesh. What are we to grip onto but Christ? Our surety, our hope, and our stay. And for Christian preachers, we have the particular privilege of proclaiming this Jesus Christ so that a posterity will serve him. Know this Christ. Learn this Christ. Study this Christ. You may have come here weary and battered and beaten in your ministry. Your your ministerial vitality and vigor is not linked to the ebbing and the flowing of this lower world, but rather we're called to to look with the hymnist, lo, the incarnate God ascended and pleads the merits of his blood. Might we preach this Christ with an unswerving constancy and might we confess this Christ with an unswerving constancy until that great day when we're brought into glory with all the band of brothers. May God bless the reading of his word and the accurate preaching of it.